Okay. I'm actually rather jealous because now I'm I'm not the person with the exotic accent. Now it now it's you. Now I'm number two. You know what I mean? I'm in the bottom of the pile again. So I'm a little bit jealous. Um someone else will get a bit of the attention today. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm like, motherfuckers, you know. They're probably gonna be messaging me saying, What the hell was she talking about? I was like, Did you understand me? Know, Never right? mind, Mona, like <laughs> Jesus. So <clears throat> take it, take it from the start, because you do a lot of things, you've been to a lot of places. People are gonna be thinking, what the fuck is going on? Um, so in a nutshell, what 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 would you tell people who you are, what do you do? What have you done? What what is this thing called life? Oh okay, so where to start? Um, born and bred in South Africa. Um I have basically been living there my whole life. I actually come from a very big uh, sporting background. Um, and that's kind of what got me moving overseas. So I'll kind of like, you know, jump back and forth a little bit. Um, yeah. And then I ended up moving to the States in um, 2016. But in 2015, I actually trained with my coach in USA for three months and that's what actually made me, you know, realize this is actually the place I wanted to be. But my whole life, I've been like, I need to move overseas. I just feel like, you know, there's something great out there for me. I need to, this is, you know, an opportunity for me to grow. What can I do to actually, you know, take this next step in my life? And when I went to the States for the training for the world championships in 2015, I said to myself, you know, I'm going there for three months, but not just for a three-month holiday. I'm going to take this time, network, meet people, you know, because I see myself living here. And the only way I'm going to do this is if I make connections and put myself out there. And I'm, I'm very much an introverted person, but I also knew that, you know, if I wanted to do this, I'm going to need to put myself out there. Um, so it kind of felt like it took a lot of energy to do that. Um, but it was also very rewarding, I think, because I'm such an introverted person. Um, and I've always loved meeting new people and experiencing, you know, new things. And sport has opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I got a job opportunity in 2016, ended up moving to Austin, Texas, um, lived there for, I think it was like two to three years, actually met my husband in the States too. And he's a Kiwi and he was actually down there for coaching too. So I think, you know, that's kind of how the paths aligned. Um, then he got a job actually in Romania. So we ended up moving to Romania for two years. <laughs> and then from Romania, after the two years, we came back. Now we are back in New Zealand. But to put it also all in a, you know, in kind of in a nutshell, um, my, like I said, my background very much comes from sport. And I was a karateka back in the day. And I started traveling overseas from like the young age of 10. Um, I also knew from that young age, I'm very blessed to have a dad that very much always pushed me to be the best that I can be. And he always said to me, you know, like if you need or if you want to be the best, you're going to have to go the extra mile. Um, and he's always been the person to like encourage me and push me even when I felt like, you know, I'm at my lowest, like there's no way I can even, you know, get here. He will be the reminder and be my rock where he's like, Mona, 
look how far you've come and you've done this by yourself. You know, you can do this. So that kind of like just lit a fire under me again and would get me motivated. And um, yeah, in the year 2000, I started weightlifting to help my karate, which I actually became a six-time karate world champion um, with also the help of weightlifting. <laughs> That's why I kind of say, you know, my, my sporting background is kind of like the, the main thing. Um, but yeah, I started then weightlifting to help the karate and my weightlifting coach back at that time, he said to me, Mona, you know, you're pretty good in weightlifting. I think you should do a competition. But I was the only girl in my city that did weightlifting. And there was also a lot of stigma back then around, you know, women doing um, sports that had to do with lifting weights. Um, I was 12 years old. It was a real big struggle to actually find a coach and someone to actually be like, okay, I will coach a 12 year old girl Olympic weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Where now, you know, it's, it's so normal for you, like being in like the gym world and stuff. Like you see youngsters starting weightlifting from like such a tender age, because it's a very safe sport and you can work a lot of technical aspects and you can do a lot of body weight strengthening things. And people don't always know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of teachers and people say to me, you know, what kind of parents would put their daughter into weightlifting when she's 18, she's going to be in a wheelchair and like, you know, just all this like, and you're going to look like a man one day. And, you know, fast forward now, like 22 years later, you know, like I felt like through all of my years of doing weightlifting, like I've kept my femininity. I love girly things. I love being a badass lifting weights and going heavy and like being like a beast when I train. Um, But then on the other side of things, I'm like, I love getting my nails done and my hair. And, you know, I just, I love being a girl. Um, Mm. And I love breaking that stigma where, you know, it's not just you have to be a man or look like a man to lift heavy weights, if Mm. that makes sense. Um, yeah, so kind of in a nutshell, that's my my sporting background. I didn't go into the, the mental health stuff now yet. Um, we'll probably talk about that sometime. Yeah, we can bleed off <laughs> it into feels that. like there's a know. lot. <laughs> Holy fuck, I didn't know about the karate. You just want to slide that one in there, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I was yeah. kind of champion of the world for a few years, you know. Yeah. Don't worry about that. I'll kick your ass, yeah. mate. Don't worry. <laughs> and then I'll outlift you as well, motherfucker. And I'm like, oh, oh, my God. Okay. No, that's absolutely badass. And, like, I'm going to touch on um, kids in sport and, and more specifically in uh, Olympic weightlifting, simply because, like, I think everyone should do it. Obviously, if you don't want to do it, you don't enjoy it, then go do something that you enjoy 100%. But I think everyone should have the opportunity and, like, equal opportunity to be able to try these things, right? And yeah. what doesn't make sense to me, it's like we both come from, well, me's not so much, man's football, the country, but yourself you come from a very rugby orientated country right and even here in New Zealand right everything's rugby right you're like okay let's let's look at it objectively you will allow your 12 year old to pick up a ball and run head first right full sprint and another 12 year old to run full sprint at each other clash boom fall over stamp on each other get up go again and be like yeah good job but you won't allow them to do an air squat with a pvc pipe I know it's crazy and I don't know Alex if you've seen like there's a lot of like like legit research that's been done on 
sport and injuries and from a young age. And I think one of the number one sports that actually caused injuries was soccer, like football, you know? And, you know, people are like, what? Not weightlifting, you know? And weightlifting is actually far down the line. It's one of the least, yeah. Yes, exactly. And weightlifting is actually a really, really safe sport. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, people are now also with, you know, CrossFit introducing a bit more weightlifting to the scene and people you know, starting to know a bit more about the sport. They're starting to realize that, you know, girls can do weightlifting, kids can do weightlifting. Um, I mean, I coached, I ran two youth programs in the States and mm. I had kids as young as five years old. I would train them with a broomstick and we would do body weight exercises, hanging on things, you know, like typical kid things, like what you would do basically in gymnastics, or even if you go to a playground and those are the things, the movements that actually get you strong. And that's the foundation that you need to teach kids. And then they'll take a PVC pipe or a broomstick and learn the technical movements. And people see it as from the get-go, you give a kid 50 kilograms, you know, like 10 times their body weight and they have to snatch it. And you're like, no, that's not how it works. Like you actually, if you take them to a coach who knows what they're doing, it will be a long time before they actually start to lift heavy weights. Yep. Oh, I super geek, geek out over this thing. Like that's one of my niches is uh, youth SNC. So I absolutely love coaching oh, yeah. the, the kids. <laughs> like I think it's phenomenal. Like you, uh, the the stuff that you get back, man, you know, and just kind yes. of breaking down the, yeah, okay, the societal stigma, but also you're, you're proving to a kid, you're teaching kid life through physical exercise, which like, I mean, what, what's, that's the greatest thing in the world. You're teaching them how to be better at life through making them healthier and more confident human beings. And oh, I'm super jealous that you got to work with uh, <laughs> five-year-olds. Like, I think the youngest I had when, in my class with weightlifting was nine. Okay. Well, yeah. they're young. But it's, yeah. it's, I love it. Oh, it's so amazing. And it's it's um, like what you were saying now, the rewards, you know, as a coach, when you coach these youngsters. And, you know, when I started coaching, um, when my dad has always had this outlook, like, you know, who he wanted to coach. And I think because he coached me from such a young age, he wanted whoever he coached, he wanted to make them a champion. Mm. Where we actually had a little debate the other day. And um, I said to him, like, my coaching methodology actually um, is I want to create a safe space for kids. And not that he doesn't do that, but he yeah, very yeah. much loves also when his kids do well. And, and so do I, you know. But honestly, for me, a bigger reward is when a parent comes to me and like they say to me, this little one hardly spoke at school. They didn't have friends. Now, all of a sudden, they have confidence. You know, they're starting to like, go up to people and make friends or, you know, their school marks are improving because now, you know, they've got better concentration or, you know, a kid that used to be bullied, you know, I've given them a place now where, you know, they feel like they've got a community. And to me, honestly, like I would, it's the most hectic thing, Alex. Like I would sometimes go home after the parents would tell me these things or I would coach the youngsters and I would have like tears in my eyes. I would be like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know how I can almost cry three times a week after I coach youth athletes, but it's just, and it's happy cry, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it touched my heart how much sport 
can teach a person, like you said, teach a kid life. Um, and, and it depends, you know, obviously on, on the coaches and stuff too, but it's, it's so amazing. And I, I almost encourage like all parents out there to, you know, like let their kids have this opportunity to get into sport mm -hmm. and they don't always just have to go into sport to become a champion. But like you said, sport can teach them a lot of life skills. Mm. I had, um, I had a really heated debate with, I, I worked with a private swimming club, right. And I was the head SNC coach and I had from seven up to 18, we weren't doing Olympic weightlifting, but we were doing sport specific SNC for swimmers. Right. I had a really heated debate with the head coach at the time because they were like, oh, everything's about, you know, getting them better times and getting to regionals and getting to nationals and getting to British and going inters and then going fucking Europeans and then going youth Olympic games. And I'm like, right, okay, um, let's strip that down. Okay, because they're like dreams and aspirations and they're phenomenal, right? And yeah, I would love to see the kids achieve that if that's something that they really wanted to do. But at the same time, like if they walk down the stairs and turn funny and break something because you've either not like helped them in a way that they need to, or just absolutely kick seven bells of shit out of them. So they're always exhausted. Like you're never going to do that. You're going OG Bulgarian weightlifting method of I'm going to take a pool of like, say for example, a thousand athletes and I'm going to absolutely beat them to oblivion and break them. And then two of them are going to go to the Olympics and one of them is going to win gold. That's it. Granted, exactly. they had what they happens had to the race. Bit. And what yeah. happens to the rest? Yes, exactly. Wanna... <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's what like, happens? You know, we know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I know what you're doing. Nice technique, bro. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, Um. but what happens yeah, to the rest? Exactly. exactly. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's great. I'm like, oh, but they got regionals coming up. I'm like... Okay. And swimming's a difficult one. And so is gymnastics because it's an early specialization sport as well. Right. Yeah. But I think, I think um, using a British example, cause he is world champion in his, in his stroke of Adam Peaty, he only started like developing when he was 16. And usually they're kicked out of the program by 16. If you've not sort of made it to like national level by 13, you're usually like, yeah, you spent, you're done like 14, maybe. Right. So he's, he was a little bit later. So maybe we're going to see, um, you know, a little bit of a, of a shift, but they're like, Oh, they need, they've got uh, regionals coming up. I'm like, okay, that's fantastic. And they've got that to do in, in four weeks time. Okay, cool. But what happens four weeks after that? What happens the next one that comes after that is like, we can't have short term thinking and God forbid. Okay. They put all the chips in that basket and they want to go professional swimmer. Like, Okay, that's probably not the greatest example. There's not a lot of money in that, but I wanted to play pro ball. I wanted to go play pro rugby. Okay, yeah. we'll use me as an example. I didn't make it. I got a really bad neck injury. I had to hold, hang up my boots. I had to stop playing rugby, right? I was like, what happens then? Well, I was fucked. Like, I couldn't do anything. Me, I just had to, like, figure it out on the fly. But, like, yeah. okay, these don't make professional sport. Okay, because that 1% of the planet does. And that's amazing. But 99% don't. And again, that wasn't their destiny. They've got something else to give to the world, right? I want to make them better at life. I So when they can go to their nine to five desk job, they their body feels great. They know how to move. They don't get up and their back hurts all the time. They've got confidence. Their mental health's better. And they're like, oh, maybe I'm going to start like, you know, pushing for something that I've always wanted to do 
as a side hustle, as a hobby or whatever, just because you've like cared about the individual and the, and the child rather than seeing, seeing medals. Exactly. It makes such a huge difference. Um, I've seen this so much in my whole career as a coach and an athlete. And um, this actually um, came Oh my gosh, people say like she's such a bad South African now. I can't remember. It was one of the Springbok rugby captains that spoke at the sport awards that I was in many years ago. I'll, you know, use that as my excuse. I was very young. What what year? <laughs> I was like, I think I was like about 13 or 14. So it might have been around the year 2001, 2002. <sighs> Maybe you'll know. All I know is <laughs> Francois. But... Francois Pinar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't him. It was, I think, the one after. No, okay. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so very good speech he gave. And, you know, he said the one, he spoke about professional rugby, you know, because obviously that's his game. Mm. And he said, you know, this is where people need to distinguish between like sport and also life because. Mm. He said, yes, sport can play an important part in your life, but it shouldn't be life. Like, it should be a part of your life. And that resonated for me. And this was just before I went to high school. And that's when I also realized, you know, like, for me, academics is really important. I want to also work in, like, the sports psychology field. And, you know, that's when I started to, like, be like, you know, if I can have both and if my sport God forbid something, you know, happens, I get injured, I get kicked off the team, you know, like, yes, you can have a really tough mindset and be like, I'm going to bounce back and you're going to do all of that and whatever. And like, you know, that's amazing. I mean, but at the end of the day, like you also need something to fall back on if sport, you know, doesn't work out. And like you said, like, I've, I feel like I've reached quite a high level in my sport, but I also feel like sport has given me the opportunity to learn so much in life that I can now give to other people. And that's why I love sports psychology so much because so many of my athletes and clients that I work with, I feel like I have so many things that we can relate to. I feel like in my life as an athlete, I've gone through so many things like ups and downs and even mental health stuff. And, you know, like, uh, family issues like parents divorcing at a really long, young age and you know having to deal with traveling a lot and like you know also um, having to work for my money like you know and also because with weightlifting it's not a professional sport where like with rugby you know everything gets paid for even though I did get some funding from the government to like help me because I if um, you know if I competed in international competitions and I would do really well but it wouldn't cover everything. So I knew I also needed to do something to, you know, that's going to be my bread and butter. And um, I, like I said, I loved weightlifting and I'm still doing it to this day, but it's helped me so much to be able to learn so much in life. Like I said, you know, it's like you, you learn how to be like resilient. You learn how to bounce back from situations, you know, even like, you know, when I've been really injured, like I, I take what I've learned now and like I'll either help another athlete who is going through the same thing or even now with like my career, I know that, you know, nothing is going to come easy or if there's a little setback, 
you know, you have to work like super hard to get yourself back there. So mm. like you were saying, you know, sport is, is so amazing. And it's literally, like you said, it's 1% of the population that makes it. And then also it depends on what sport, because you can be making it in something like weightlifting and be in a country where weightlifting is not supported. So, you know, you win the Olympic gold medal and people are like, but now what? You know, you, you're still not like a millionaire. You're not going to have life sorted for the rest of your life. You know, if you come from the Eastern Bloc countries, you know, for them, sport, you know, it pays. Like when I lived in Romania, I saw, you know, the athletes getting salaries from a really young age. They get supported, but they also know sport is their way out. Yep. And if they do well in Europeans or Worlds or Olympics, um, you know, they actually get funded for life but you know when you come from you know other type of countries you don't get that opportunity um but then again in those other countries there's also a lot of you know doping involved so you know there's there's positives and negatives with sport but i do believe like you said you can't also just put your all your eggs into one basket and just go ham and think like this is my life i'm going to plan nothing else beyond it i believe in always having a plan b doesn't matter what mm. yeah I, I say the same thing like i've worked with a lot of kids from from shit areas right and i was a PE teacher in in uh in inner city manchester for a little bit and you know we had fucking metal detectors on the doors with kids bringing knives to school and double locking doors and all that type of stuff right and i can relate to them because it's the same yeah. shit all that i grew up in but yeah. i say to them i i'm like all right Okay, you're in a you're in a shit situation. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, do you want to leave? And the answer is always yes, right? Like, no, no one in the right mind's like, no, nah, I like being in this shit all. It's like, yeah, 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 I want to leave. I'm like, right, well, you got three options, mate. I was like, yeah. first of all, like you do really well in school and use academia to get you out of it. Well, that ain't gonna work, is it? Because you ain't doing that. Second of yeah. all, you apply <laughs> yourself to spot. <laughs> like, let's be honest. Second of all, you apply yourself to spot. All right, that's a way out. But yeah. that's a riskier option because now you're dealing with an organic thing and that's called your body. So if that starts fucking up, you need something to fall back on. And if you've kind of already thrown away the academia, then you're screwed. And the third one is you better be willing to eat shit and work with your hands. And like that's that's a harder, longer road. A lot of people don't like taking it. A lot of people end up just settling and just sticking where they are if they end up taking that road. But like a, the reason why I say it is I've worked in two like, vastly different demographic areas one right at the bottom and one pretty pretty damn affluent and it's like it's hard to get across the point that sport for a lot of people is not just fun and games it's not just a hobby it's legitimately a way of getting themselves and their family out of a garbage situation and taking them from one environment to another it's basically like elevating through the social class system you know, go from the, the working class to the middle class or the, the you know, whatever you want to say. And like, it, it it's a lot of pressure, man. That's a lot of yeah. pressure. And the, the psychological uh, impact on, on kids, right, on, on children is yeah. something that will forever baffle me. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I also saw in, you know, Romania and this very much touched my heart a lot because the same situations that you are saying now, I've, I've worked with a lot of weightlifters in similar situations in South Africa. Um, 
and just before I left, I like I kind of dabbled in a like a nonprofit, and that's something that I still want to do. I want to be able to have a nonprofit where, you know, I want to be able to like go to like an orphanage and be like, you know, I want to give kids an opportunity, like you know, get like something like transport sponsored for them to like, you know, take them to weightlifting and have them just like you know do the sport because again, they wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, and a lot of them don't have a parent to say like, you need to start weightlifting or, you know, a sport could help you open up doors. Um, and when I was in Romania, the really, really sad thing is, and like what you were mentioning now, I would see youngsters as young as like nine, 10 years old, they'll get a salary for being part of the clubs. And that salary goes to the parents yep. and the parents push them into sport. They like, you know, a lot of the parents will lose their jobs or, you know, go to jail or drink or, you know, like be abusive or whatever. And that poor kid, it's on them now to support their parents for basically the rest of their lives. And this is something that they are stuck in unless, you know, and again, being in that kind of country, it's hard. You can't just be like, I'm just going to move to the States, you know, because a lot of them can't even speak English and they do what they call sports school. Um, and I saw a lot of kids being older and they would go to school only like twice or three times a week. And it's only like a couple of hours and they couldn't read, couldn't speak English. So, you know, the only way out is sport because I could, like you were saying, you know, the academic side again, wasn't there for them. Um, so again, there are the odd ones that takes that opportunity, you know, you know, they, they take it with everything that they got and they just go, they, you know, they move overseas, but it's a very small percentage of them. And most of the athletes end up staying there. They follow in their parents' footsteps, you know, they end up potentially quitting sport, you know, maybe working with the family, depending on what they do, um, you know, working in like grocery stores. And it's so sad to see because these kids have so much talent and potential, but there's also no one to help guide them. And I think, you know, also that's very important. Like if there's actual programs and people to help guide these kids, because as kids, you don't know, you don't know any better. Um, so it's very important to like, you know, have someone there to help guide them and someone that they can go to for answers. Um, yeah, and just, you know, seeing this, it really, it, it touched my heart and it made me sad to see and it made me also appreciate, you know, where I came from and it also made me feel like I really want to be an advocate for these kids and I really want to help where I can and, you know, whenever there's an opportunity, like I said, um, for me to start a, a non-profit, I want to be able to do that to help these kids to at least show them that you know there's other ways let me know when you do that because i'm there awesome like, I'll definitely. Wanna... i've been thinking this for years so i'm so close to just you know i must just get everything sorted have my my permanent stuff here <laughs> and then good to go honestly man i'm i'm the type of person that that has to has to give back to places you know, like, like we said before we stick, you know, press that fucking record button. It's like, I saw my parents not have two pennies to rub together. Right. Yeah. Like legit, like 
Are you cold? Put a jumper on. Oh, it's dark? No, wait till it's pitch black before you put a light on. No, you can't ring your dad on the landline because it's going to cost two quid 50 or something and we don't have it like ration the milk or whatever and you you see them break themselves and then you then you see people around you in worse situations right and you're like fuck me like it, this is hard in in my house but my house hasn't got drugs in it right my house hasn't got weapons in it you know what i mean and i'm like no 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 like if okay we're all gonna end up in the same position i we're all they're all gonna throw dirt on us when when we're done I was like, I've got to do something before before they do that to me. And I'm, a, I'm a, definitely a type of bloke that, that needs to be involved in these things. I don't need my name on it. Like, that's not that's not the point. I'm not trying to say that. Like, put me in fucking headlights and everyone's dancing around, cheering me like some sort of, like, crazy Jesus, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. You want to help. Yeah. That's like, legit. I'm like, no, no, let's let's go do this. And if, I don't know, you need some weightlifting coaching or some frigging PA over in... Port Elizabeth over in Romania, over in <laughs> somewhere. I'll be like, yeah, okay, cool. Give me like two weeks and I'll uh, I'll sort out a plane and I'll see you there. Awesome. Oh. Well, that makes me happy. Now I feel like I've got someone on board with me. <laughs> I'm there, mate. I'm there. Like, honestly. Oh, yeah. I'm also nuts. Like, I do so many projects and I, I don't know. That's what fires me up. That's what keeps me going. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, you do a lot of things, right? And I'm pretty sure you can relate to that. Like, if we did one thing, like it would probably kill us. Like if I just did a nine yes. to five role or <laughs> like if I just did this, uh, no, I wouldn't be a yeah. I wouldn't be a good dude to be around. Right. I'd yeah, I'd be miserable. Like I have to kind of live in this state of like anxiety, I guess, of yeah. just like the super, super passionate. If anything's gonna pour my cup, I'm gonna like I'm gonna empty my cup and things are gonna pour it back up and I'm douse petrol on it and light it on fire and let's go. And it's it's a crazy world we live in and it's a crazy life to live. But honestly, man, it's what, it's what keeps me going. So yeah. I'm actually fucking, I'm actually uh, really fired up that you've said about that nonprofit. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, let's go. Oh, that's awesome. It makes me happy because, you know, like I said, it's, it's been stuff. I've been dabbling in these kind of things for quite some time. Um, and I try and help where I can. But again, there's sometimes, you know, there's limited resources and so what I wanted to do previously was I wanted to do this back in the States and I actually started, you know, speaking to people, but I almost felt like I haven't been in a place long enough to like, I have the connections, but to actually be there to run the actual project. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, you know, I thought to myself, okay, what other ways are there then how I can contribute? And, you know, that's where I kind of feel like, sport has blessed me so much because I feel like if anything I can try and be a voice for these athletes or for people who hasn't even started the sport yet and just kind of um, be someone that they can come to um, you know especially also being a female in the sport mm. because growing up you know in weightlifting for me it was really tough because again all all the stigmas around it you know going to school you know people saying all kinds of negative things all the time you know I go home be in tears and um, it was only when like when I started traveling overseas I started to see you know firstly there's girls that's been doing the sport that don't look the way you know how people say they're gonna look and secondly I also saw that if I work my 
butt off for something, the doors will open. Um, and it might not exactly be that door that I want to open, but a door will open. And there's always, you know, opportunities. And, um, you know, I don't I, like, yeah, that's why I say, you know, sport is just, it's such an amazing thing for me because it's just, it's helped me so much grow as a person. But now all these years of growth, I don't want it to go to waste. I want to be able to take everything, you know, that I've learned, all my, all my knowledge, all my, you know, connections I've built and be able to do something to give back. And like I said, may it be a nonprofit, may it be, you know, speaking to younger kids, you know, I'm not exactly sure what that path looks like yet, but I'm willing to take that because I kind of feel like the same way, like what you were saying, it gives me life. Mm. And when I can't do those things and I'm just working, I don't feel like I have that same sort of fire and drive in me. It's like, as soon as I, I, it was so weird. Like I would tell my husband, whenever I work with my sports psychology clients and whenever we have talks, it, I literally feel like that gives me life because I feel like, you know, if there's a small little breakthrough, it's such a big win for me. And I'm like, you know, this could help this person. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's just, you know, being in sports for so long that I just, I want to help. I want to be able to contribute and not waste everything that I've learned. I think that's beautiful, man. Like, you know, a lot of people kind of take what they can and move on, you know what I mean? And it's, it's the giving back that creates equal opportunity and equal opportunity if you think long term is what elevates spot right if you know for example i use crossfit for example love the place i'm level two like i love it i think it's incredible but it's not everywhere right and it's like oh the fittest on earth i'm like okay now yeah because it's it's in a lot of places but when it first started you know the first year could you call yourself the fittest on earth? Like I think one person traveled from overseas and everywhere else was just from USA. I'm yes. like, wait, hold on a minute. It's like, and that's what we, that's how we treat sport, right. Of, yeah. of all sports. Like people just don't have the capability to go do that. Like they, they, there's no netball courts. There's no yeah. equipment. There's no one qualified, right? Like SNC, even in, even in Manchester, SNC, there was no SNC. Why? Cause no yeah. one, no one is qualified. No one knows how to do the gym. Everyone knows how to go in and bicep curl. That's not going to yes. help you play the pro <laughs> ball, is it? Like, you know? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So it's um, it's creating that equal opportunity. It's creating that equal playing field. You know, mm -hmm. kind of look at it through a like, um, like a fair lens rather than a pay-to-play society. And, oh, I know this guy because – my dad went to work with him or whatever. And, and am I able to get in? I was like, well, that's not fair. That's not fair yeah. for, for all the kids. You know, they're missing out on those life lessons. I, I always go back to um, an analogy from um, Steve Harvey. Cause he always says like, if a door closes on you, you just got to walk down the hallway because there's more doors. Yeah. Right. Okay, that's fine. Awesome. You knock on the door, it gets slammed in your face. Walk down the hallway. There's more dots. And you you said something that is so true of like hard work might not get you to the place where you want you to be, but it will get you to a place. It will get you somewhere. Yeah. Hard work is never, never a bad thing. Yeah. And I think that's every everything I've ever done. 
I've always like, I'm going to work so fucking hard. I like, I break myself for it. And I'm clearly outworking everybody else. Never happens, mate. It's never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I've never got what I wanted to do. Never. Literally, never. Well, look where I am, dude. You know, it's like, it will get you somewhere. Yeah. No, for real. And, um, you know, this is what, again, what I've experienced. And, you know, like I said, how you know, sport has opened up doors. I would have never have been able to um, move to the States if I didn't train my butt off, ended up choosing then to, you know, I stopped karate and then went into weightlifting. Um, when my coach said to me, you know, you are quite good. And I, I had to make that choice. And back then, even though I was young, I sat down with like, you know, my, my dad and my uh, karate coach at the time, and because karate wasn't in the Olympics and my main goal and dream as an athlete has always been to go to the Olympics. Like that was like my, almost like my be all and end all. I was like, I want to be an athlete to go to the Olympics. And, um, you know, it was only last year I, I missed out on the Olympics by one spot. Mm. And, you know, so many things go through your mind. You're like, Am I not, you know, good enough? You know, like uh, all my years of training is wasted. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a failure as an athlete. Um, and, you know, someone said something to me, they're like, you literally missed the Olympics by one spot. Do you know how good that is? But to me, being an athlete, always working so hard and having a goal and, you know, and, and like I said, I have, there has been times where I haven't achieved that goal, but no matter what, I will do everything from, you know, what I need to do, recovery, you know, making sure my nutrition is in point, on point, my sleep is on point, you know, the hard work, you know, the training, if I need to train twice a day, I'll need to train twice a day, the rehab, the prehab, all of those things, I am willing to do all of it to be able to get to somewhere, because I know also, and, and like you'll know also in sport, being a clean athlete, it's, it's not always easy. So you fight against that too. Um, and, you know, it made me realize, you know, this year when I now started to come back because I'm training for an international comp that's going to be in February, I thought to myself, you know, like, you know, again, what's all my years in sport wasted? And then I started to do a lot of like mental searching or like, you know, digging really deep to kind of find out like my my why and I kind of feel like the last building up to the Olympics I kind of lost that why because I was training so hard to get to the Olympics that I didn't actually see anything else outside of that and when I didn't make it it was it was such a huge shock and a disappointment for me and um, I ended up saying to myself you know I'm gonna take six months break my first time ever in my whole career I'm gonna take such a long break but I'm going to do this to kind of just find myself again, you know, find the reason why I started the sport in the first place. And yes, it took some time. And I again realized that all that work I did wasn't for nothing because during that time, even building up towards the Olympics, I did a lot of, you know, uh, talks. I, you know, I was on podcasts. I would like, do mental health things. I, you know, I did all of the work and you sometimes forget to see all the work that you did behind the scenes and just think I didn't make Olympics. Mm -hmm. But in essence, 
there was so much that actually came out of it, including me realizing that, you know, that's not my only reason for living, going to the Olympics. There is so much more. And that's why I thought to myself, you know, what is going to be the next best thing that's going to make me feel like I'm, I'm worthy, I'm, you know, it's going to give me life, it's going to give me energy. And when I really started digging deep into, again, growing my sports psychology business and, you know, sitting down, counseling athletes, you know, doing the work with them, that's when I realized, you know, all of that that I've learned in the journey, so even me not making Olympics, that's something that I can help another athlete with. Um, you know, I know what it feels like to fail. I also know what it feels like to, you know, not medal at three Commonwealth Games and at the fourth one, you know, finally get to stand on the podium. And, you know, it, it was the most amazing feeling for me in the world when I, you know, got that chance, got that medal, got six for six, broke South African records. So it's like you said, you know, it, nothing is, all that hard work is not wasted. It's going towards something. And now I'm like, okay, I can take all this hard work and I can help athletes in the field of mental health or sports psychology. So talk to me about the mental health. Okay. Uh, what do you want to know? <laughs> so what, what do you see mostly in terms of mental health with athletes? Well, a lot of things I see, or, or one of the big things I see is most athletes, whenever they struggle in sport, it's not often, very rarely is it actually a sport situation. Very often it's a situation outside of sport. Yeah. And that is where, you know, mental health plays such a big role for me because it's something that I learned only later on. You know, like you just, I mean, I grew up, um, being told, you know, you have to be mentally tough, you have to block out things, and you can block out things to a point, but as soon as that thing starts to bleed into your training, you know, if the athlete is mentally healthy, they will also become a better athlete. Yep. So if you can help the athlete deal with those situations also outside of sport and not just tell them, bottle it up or you know, we've got this little technique in sports psychology that you, you can write your problem on a piece of paper and put it in a, a little bag and zip it up and deal with it after training. You know, it's a very good technique for like compartmentalize, compartmentalizing, sorry, <laughs> and just kind of just putting it aside for a little bit and just being like, you know, now I'm going to just focus on the year and now. And yes, that's super important to be a good athlete and you need to be able to focus on literally what you're doing right now and not have that stuff bleed in. But sometime in your life, you are going to have to deal with it because there is going to be in your life a time in your life where that stuff will start to bleed into it. And, you know, this has happened to me. I've seen this happen to numerous athletes, you know, um, maybe for a very short period of time, you can block it out say there's a massive competition coming up but I'm a strong believer in you have to deal with the issues and if you don't deal with those issues it will end up breaking the athlete and that's why I think you know mental health has become such an important topic over the last couple of years and I feel like it's been so amazing to see so many athletes speak out about it you know even like Simone Biles um, and then you know there's been some um, rugby players 
you know, that would like come out and speak about mental health and just talk about, you know, them dealing with depression and uh, dealing with anxiety. And, um, you know, for many years, I just thought to myself, whatever situation is outside of training, I just need to block it out. And like I said, until it started to bleed into training, um, and I was working with my sports psychologist, you know, at that time, and she was like, you know, we have to, we have to deal with this. And we also, you know, as an athlete, you know, you're very good with putting things aside, but when in your life are you going to deal with it? Are you going to deal with it when you retire sport? And then it's going to be like a whole, you know, set of things just coming, bleeding over into your life. Um, and you have to, you have to make that decision. And I think there should be more people out there that can not just speak out about it, but there must be doors or opportunities for athletes to actually go and speak to a professional. Because I think there's still, yes, people are speaking out about it on social media. People are speaking out about it, you know, in public with interviews, but there's not a lot of sports where there's an actual mental health professional that's there to help the athlete. And I don't always believe, you know, the coaches, yes, they must be able to help and they must be able to, you know, um, there must be such a trust relationship between the athlete and the coach that the athlete can actually go to the coach to say something is wrong. But I also believe then, you know, it's the coach's responsibility to be like, okay, I'm not an expert in this field, but I want to send you to someone that can help you without that athlete feeling like now they've exposed themselves. Now they're going to be kicked off a team. Now they're going to be, you know, have that stigma of, you know, being mentally weak. Um, and coaches are like, I don't want mentally weak athletes on my team. I don't want athletes on my team that's dealing with emotional home stuff. And in all honesty, like there's a lot of people dealing with those kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it ends up again, like I said, bleeding into an athlete's life and, you know, worst case scenario, like the athlete harms themselves because they have nowhere to go um, and no one to talk to. And, you know, and you never wanted to get to that point. But it's gotten to that point now where I think the world is seeing how serious it is. And I think especially during the pandemic, it's, it's opened up a lot of eyes um, because athletes were suffering and athletes did start to speak out about the fact that they are suffering. Um, yeah. And like I said, I just, I just think if sporting organizations can put more programs into place for these athletes, um, you know, so many more athletes can be helped. And so many more athletes, you know, will be able to be athletes for longer because they won't have, you know, the mental mental health stuff breaking down. Mm. That's it. Like most most people look at athletes as gladiators, right? Well, gladiators are human beings. Like they, they have exactly. feelings, right? And they're gonna they're gonna have some shit to deal with. And and you made a really really important point um, of if I just take it and put it to the side, right? And every time I just take it and put it to the side, the same side, it's going to pile it up, right? That's either going to stop my career, hinder my career, or if I get to the end of it, right, you're going to have this whole heap of bullshit that you've got to sieve through and be able to, like, unwind and unravel. And you're like, that is a lot of work. That's not going to be, you know, 10 minutes of gratitude and journaling and a little bit of meditation or a morning walk in the morning. That's going to be some deep therapy, that's going to be some like really important things. And it's, 
I think it's important to break the stigma because it, it stops people from from going down the drink route or it it allows them a different way right most most athletes especially back home like I don't know if it's the weather that fucks people up but as soon as they finish uh as soon as they finish um spa it's like right well I might as well you know just carry on getting on the sauce I don't have to yeah. go to training <laughs> right and they just drink it away. Talking about the, are you talking about the Manchester weather? Um, yeah, like UK, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know actually what you mean. Like, you know, also they, they talk about weather-induced depression. Mm. Sad syndrome, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. just continue on that train. Yeah. Honestly, that's that's why uh, that's why we have so many pubs. You know, it was a public, it's called a public house. It used to be where it used to be like a B&B, like a, you could sleep there. Uh, it's also your social, but like it's a place to go when it's gray and fucking raining all the time. It's like it's a little yeah. bit of a jollier time, you know. You'd rather get a little bit of a uh, a liquid sweater on, so then you feel a little bit warmer than go outside and it's raining and it's dull. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but also yeah. it's not going to help you live like a long life. Exactly. Yeah, and mm. um, you know, it's it's one of those things. You know, again. It's also very much, I think, culture dependent because, um, you know, my with my husband being a Kiwi, he was saying to me, um, it's a it's a big uh, tradition here too. Like they like drinking mm. and, um, you know, it's kind of like the way of like socializing and it's just it's like kind of like a way of life, you mm. know. Um, but like you're saying now, especially if, you know, you're battling with things, um, it, it makes it difficult because. You can't hide it through those things like alcohol or smoking or, you know, any other thing. It's better to mm. just, you know, deal with it. But again, if, if there's no one to talk to and, you know, what can you do? You can go on, you know, Dr. Google and you can Google, you know, like, you know, what's wrong with me and stuff like that. And obviously that gives you a whole bunch of nonsense. And at the end of the day, you know, you're sitting with athletes who's sitting with their pain. And you think to, yes, this is just a troubled child. This is just a child that, you know, he doesn't want to listen. He doesn't have discipline. But there's, you know, if, if that child just feels that they can open up and trust, because a lot of times it just takes a lot for that child to actually be, to be like, I need to just be able to trust someone that I can open up to that's not going to judge me and tell me I'm useless or you know, I'm never going to be an athlete in my life, you know, just have someone help them and deal with these things because that person could actually flourish and that person could actually be someone who could change other people's lives in the future because they've gone through it and they've overcome it. But to overcome it, you know, you, there needs to be something out there to, to help them because it's, it's difficult. Again, like you can't deal with this by yourself. Agreed, especially when when it's kids, right? Like, even we're seeing with the stresses of 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 children in in pro sport or getting towards academy and pro sport. Like, you're you're now getting that on an undeveloped mind, and and then that's just going to have more years of trauma building. Yes. Um, and it, it goes back to okay, cool, you don't play pro ball. Okay, cool, you play one year or or whatever. But, what, what have you got to give to humanity, right? Yes. What, scoring tries and 
kicking a ball in the back of an onion basket. I mean, like, come on, like you've you've got a you've got a little bit more to give than that. Like we we are all so many things, right? We're not uh, someone uh, who was it Libby like this week. She said we're human beings, not human doings. Yes. And it, it like it, it it blew my mind. I was like, yes, like our identity in most cases is what we do. All right, that's who I am. It's like no, that's what you do. For that's now, exactly. right? Yeah. Like life is long. It's long enough to live a hundred different lives. You could be a hundred different people, and when you get to the end of it, hopefully you've learned a little bit from each yes. one of them, right? And then you can like kind of pass that on and be like, "Good luck." I'm kind of on to the <laughs> next one, and yeah, I think it's I think it's really important we look after athletes and and think of them as as human beings rather than you're just, you're my entertainment. I was like, yeah, okay. You know, sport is entertainment. Yeah. And it's a massive industry. It's a business, right? It's money, but fuck money, man. Like, what does that even mean? Like what making money at the expense of, of potentially someone's life. It's like, I'm not about that. Like maybe we need to make money out of saving people and helping people. Yes. A hundred percent agree. And I must actually, um, uh, mention USA weightlifting because this is something that I've seen they have been implementing with their athletes and anyone who's part of the USA um, weightlifting like registered to them like you can be any athlete if you are battling with mental health they actually have mental health professionals out there for all the athletes and that's why athletes like um, you know Magic Maddie Rogers and um, Catherine I you know they can speak out about these things because they got the help that they needed. And someone like Catherine Nye, she's suffering, she's got bipolar. And if you think about it, like if you are a person with bipolar and there's no one there to help you, there's a very good chance that also things could go very bad for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to help that athlete, now that athlete is an Olympic champion, you know, or, you know, world champion or whatever. And, you know, it's an athlete that has got bipolar. And the same thing like with, you know, Maddie Rogers, she's an athlete that is dealing with mental health stuff. And, you know, she is open about the fact now that she started taking medication. And, you know, you might not be like a doctor or anyone to say, okay, listen, you need medication. But the thing is like, if a doctor prescribes it and you get to that point to know that there's nothing wrong with you if they do that like it literally it's just there like my sports psychologist told me something a long time ago that actually like really resonated with me and she said you can be the strongest athlete in the world and you can have all the coping skills but sometimes that is not enough you need that little bit of extra help and um if you sometimes have that little bit of extra help, like something to help the anxiety, you know, it could just help you manage things so much better. So it doesn't escalate into something that could actually end up being something really bad because being an athlete who has like suffered anxiety, sometimes it feels like you don't have control. And, you know, I'm, I, I have asthma as well. So now like the anxiety on the asthma causes more anxiety so it literally, it, it's like this whole downward spiral of things. And, you know, you kind of just feel like there's no one that can help you. 
Um, but just knowing that, you know, there is something out there and being able to speak to someone and say, okay, listen, obviously we're not just going to give out medication like left, right and center, but if an athlete really needs this and this is going to just help them function or just help them feel like they've got an extra coping skill or something to help them cope, it's okay for like, yes, it should be monitored and you should make sure that, you know, it's not something that they potentially use for life or, you know, if it's maybe just for a time being, but I also feel like, you know, don't be afraid that if your doctor or your psychologist or psychiatrist, you know, prescribe something like this, don't feel like you are this person who is just, you know, mentally damaged. It, it doesn't mean that. Um, there is now so many athletes out there that are using these things just to help them. And um, I've listened to quite a few, like even TED talk, talks, like, you know, like throughout my years. And I've heard many, many Olympic athletes say, you know, because being an athlete, especially an elite level athlete, it, it takes a lot out of you mentally. And like what you're saying now, people do treat you like a machine and coaches can treat you like a machine. And sometimes they don't even know that they are doing this, but they just see you as like this worker bee that they can just push the whole time. And as the athlete, you also don't want to let them down. So you push your body through the ringer. You push your mind, you know, obviously through the ringer. And um, yeah, and then at the end, you know, until something breaks, that's the only time when people realize, oh, whoa, maybe she is human or maybe he is, you know, he is mm. human. You're not mm. a machine. You have feelings. You probably have exactly the same stuff as any other person out there. It's just when it comes to competition time, you can just, you know, bundle it all up and just have that really, really good focus or be like in the zone. And just sometimes, you know, for, for athletes, they actually use it to feel them. Mm. Um, yeah. It's so funny that you use the analogy of a worker bee because that's the emblem of Manchester. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's on my wall. It's like I knew, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And it's on my necklace too. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> funny. But um, it's true, man. Like we do, we treat athletes like that. Um, we think they're some sort of, you know, alien or. Yeah. machine or this 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 godlike figure and you're like no that's just a human being that has potentially a little bit of talent potentially not um but has put in a sickening amount of work to be able to get there sacrificed a hell of a lot to be able to get there now is there and has to do even more to stay there and we're watching it for entertainment i was like yeah. sitting on your couch eating popcorn when you thumb in your ass does not like show you how bad and how hard it is being in the computer screen, right? Or in the television screen or on the stage doing the actual spot. Like it, yeah. it's insane. And the pressure on them, like, yeah, definitely. I agree. Like we do need to, we need to do better. And I think it starts with conversations like we're doing now of being like, okay, cool. What's it like on your side? What's it, what's it like from my perspective? Oh, okay. This is really cool. Let's like decipher this. Let's, let's turn over all the jigsaw pieces. Let's look at it from, from a from a distance and be like right now let's get the fucking one yes that's so true and i also think you know people are so quick to criticize 
um, like the people sitting there with their beer or, oh, yeah, their, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. their hot dog or whatever, you know, the people eat, you know, and they'll just be there and just be like, that athlete is so useless, you know, like, oh, they shouldn't be on the field, you know, they mentally weak and, you know, people are very, very quick to criticize. And, um, you know, this is something I even saw with, you know, Simone Biles, you know, at the Olympics. And there was a lot of controversy around it. And a lot of people had obviously a lot to say. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think if there was someone that could make a statement, she did make that statement. And, you know, she kind of also used that position. I think, you know, some people say like, oh, she just quit. But the thing is, she actually used her um, her status and her position to actually show people that like doesn't matter how good you are you can still have mental struggles and they can still affect you on game day yeah. and you can still freeze up and you know just be like oh my gosh I feel like I've lost all my skill um, and it happens it happens to athletes and that's you know obviously one of the, the big things around anxiety and I read a book a while back and they were saying the biggest, as I say, biggest mental disorder out there, they call it like mental disorder, they said is anxiety. And they said, people are so scared to admit they are dealing with anxiety that, you know, they will much rather admit that they suffer from something like bipolar or, you know, schizophrenia or something hectic, because then they know, okay, this is really a reason to medicate. But when you say someone is suffering anxiety, people are like, get on okay, with it. Yeah. yeah, get on with it. Like, you know, like um, what, what's going on? Like it, it's just become like a big thing where people are like, you know, anxiety is not a thing. Anxiety is more an excuse mm -hmm. for why you haven't performed well. And like, again, I can, as an athlete that has, you know, suffered anxiety, I know that, it will sometimes just, it will, it will just come. It doesn't matter when, like you don't always know when it's going to come. And it could come when you are on an airplane. I remember a couple of years back, I had to do a scan, an MRI scan. And I had an anxiety attack just before the scan. And I Fuck. couldn't understand. I, I just thought to myself, now I'm going into the small little tunnel. And I said to the doctor, I'm like, I feel like the biggest failure ever. Like I literally he started like I started going into the MRI I think and I was just like I, I can't do this <laughs> I just feel like felt like everything is like crumbling up and I'm being squashed in this little hole um and yeah I I just that's when I was like you know I need to do something about this I need to you know speak to my sports psychologist you know like speak to a professional understand what's going on I need to you know try and have some coping mechanisms and even though being in the sports psychology field for so long, you sometimes forget about breathing. You forget, you know, that there's like these, these little techniques that you can use that can help. Um, and I mean, it, it's something that can make a massive difference. But when it happens to you, you the stuff doesn't just come to your mind. You literally, the only thing you are thinking about when you get an anxiety attack is surviving. Um, and I think that's what people don't often realize. They're like, why don't you just breathe, you know, do your breathing techniques. But at that time, that's not your thought. Even helpers need help, man. You know, like, oh, no, it's fine. She's the person that helps everybody else. Don't worry about it. She's got her own back. I was like, 
if you have everybody else's back, who's got your back? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. You need you need to know how to look after yourself. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Granted, but like sometimes you need help. Exactly. You know, helpers need help. Yeah. And and the same thing like coaches. You know, I'm I'm also yep. a big advocate. Like you know, if I'm a coach, but I still need a coach. Yeah. Because just need coaches. I yes. And um, you know, that's something where a lot of people, you know, in the past they were like. Mona, you've been in the sport for 21 years. You have traveled the world. You've been on overseas training camps in Egypt, in Romania, and all these like amazing places. Why don't you just coach yourself? They like, and like I have to explain to them, it doesn't work like that. I need someone that I can also go to, to keep me accountable. Someone that I can go to or a program that I can follow where I don't actually have to use my brain to go and be like, I need to do this. I literally just want to like open my phone and be like, Oh, this is my program because I sit all day writing programs, you know, um, helping people with regards to sports psychology. So it's nice for me to just be like, now I can sit back and do the talking and let things out. And, um, you know, the same thing, open my phone, do my program, just do the work, be the worker bee. Um, mm. <laughs> and just, you know, love. And that's why I love what I do. I think if I had to start writing my own program for weightlifting, I would probably not love it as much because yeah. I would just feel like it's work instead of it's my outlet. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with that. Like I, if I'm ever in a position like now, like no one coaches me, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit bunged up. Like both my wrists are a little bit fucked. So I can't really weight lift. Um, yeah, it's not good. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm squatting again. You know, that's the only yeah. thing we know how to do, right? Weight lift. Like, squatting in, and pulls. Yeah, that's it. Fuck pulls, man. They, they annoy me. <laughs> Uh, they're boring oh, but I'll I'll do double squats no I'm joking like but um yeah I won't sit down and write a program I'll be like okay I'll have like a mental kind of segmented through the week and then I'll kind of fill in the blanks with whatever I feel but say for example yeah. you wrote me something I'm like if hell froze over I'm doing this shit yes <laughs> it's getting done don't worry about it like it's like Alex you've only got one leg and one arm don't worry about it I've got the like I, I will get it done yeah so, i'm yeah, dedicated I, to the program i'm yeah. dedicated to my coach <laughs> yeah 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 and it's that trust as well it's that trust yes 100 i i actually always say you know the best you know athletes out there is the athletes who have the best athlete coach relationship yes um and as soon as the athlete doubts the coach i feel like the relationship is also screwed or vice versa it literally um, if the athlete doesn't trust the coach and their reasoning behind things, they'll always question it. Um, and this was something my, my dad said to me many years ago, you know, he's like, um, because my coach is USA based and he was my coach for eight years in weightlifting. And he said, I've never seen a person like literally whatever your coach says you do. And, um, can I swear on the podcast? Of course. Like I, I just have to say something. Okay. <laughs> I just have to say something. So when I started training, my coach's name was Dutch Lowy. The only deal, because at that time, um, I didn't actually tell you a bit about my, my CrossFit background, but I was um, doing CrossFit at the time and I qualified for the CrossFit Games, went, and then I wanted to be CrossFit full-time. And my coach said to me, no, I, I think personally, like, you know, CrossFit is, you know, it's an amazing sport and everything. But I feel like you still have, you know, I 
still feel like weightlifting is still your, your main thing and we're not done with weightlifting yet. And I had this um, like a video chat with, with Dutch Lowry at the time because a coach from South Africa actually introduced us. And Dutch said to me, okay, this is our deal. I will coach you, but you will never fuck around on my program. I was like, deal. I, whatever you say, I'll do, you know? And, and that's why we worked for so long because whatever he said, if he said to me, don't do CrossFit because we are prepping for the world, even though I had a CrossFit gym, you know, and it's tempting and I love jumping on the rings and doing muscle ups and all those kind of things. I had to stop myself because I had this little voice inside my ear that was like, don't fuck around on Dutch's program. You know, mm. like I respect my coach. I want to be a Commonwealth medalist. And the only way I'm going to do this or go to the Olympics is, you know, if my coach and I, there's 100% transparency. And especially being overseas, you know, my coach doesn't have control over like my actions. He doesn't see me every day. In fact, you know, the only time we met was in 2015 when I went and the training before the world at his, you know, I went to stay with him for three months. And that was the only time he actually saw me and he had 100% control. But I was very honest with him about, you know, everything that I do, you know, how I felt. And that's why the relationship worked so well. And we just made such a good athlete coach team. Mm. Um, and I feel like, you know, I've been blessed. I have that with my current athletes too. And I always tell them, you know, and like coaches have said to me before, they like, you know, my athletes do CrossFit and they, you know, I tell them don't do these things on the side or, you know, like just do what the program says. But I say, you know, I tell my athletes that if you do want to do those things, rather tell me so that I know and that there's complete honesty because otherwise the program will not work because it might be like two weeks down the line. And I think to myself, why is there not? X amount of progress um, or why is this athlete battling with you know a sore back or wrist or whatever you know um, then it comes out later on oh you know they did you know kettlebell swings or they did you know whatever box jumps and fell um, so it's just good to be able to have that with your athletes and again you know I think it also um, again opens a nice doorway for that mental health side of things because mm. we have such an open relationship and my athletes tell me when something is wrong um so i find like obviously my boy athletes are very like you know or man or whatever they're very you know they want to be like a man and they want to be tough and they don't want to speak a bit about their feelings yeah. but it's been nice because we've broken those barriers too but that took time you know i had to let them know that like you telling me, because a lot of time, a lot of them also do other sports like basketball and they wanted to get into, um, you know, universities for basketball, like get scholarships and things. So the weightlifting would be an assistant sport for that. And I tell them, speak to me because, you know, at the end of the day, if I don't know, I'm going to continue pushing you with the program and we might be damaging you and pushing you into an injury. And I don't want that either. I want to help you. So let me help you by just being honest with me and telling me exactly what's going on. I, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. And I think that's so important um, for a coach to hear. And I think it's so important for an athlete to hear too of, oh, I should be able to relay these pieces of information to a coach. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've got three questions. Yes. <laughs> All right. 
Sure. Um, I'm obsessed with these questions because I think people's perspectives on it is is wild, man. You know, you get to you get to take a dip into someone else's reality, and I think that's really cool. So, question one is, uh, what's the greatest piece of life advice you've ever received? I think the best um, life advice I've ever received is what I told you, what the Springbok rugby coach said um, when he said, sport must be a part of your life, but it mustn't be life. It mustn't be the be all and end all. Um, and I think having a dad that was very sport driven and he wanted like people used to say I was almost brought up like a military child because I had from the age of like eight years old, I had to train three times a day, wake up five o'clock, five o'clock in the mornings. I didn't, you know, go and play with friends and stuff like that. My dad was like, you have to tell your friends you have training. And, you know, that was my life. And, mm. um, you know, my mom, she was the academic. Mm. And um, <laughs> even though, you know, my father would be like, Mona's the athlete, Mona's the athlete. My mom would be like, uh, academics is also still important, you know? And as a child, I think you see sport as more of like an exciting thing than academics. Um, but then hearing the Springbok rugby coach said that, say that, I was like, you know, I have an opportunity here to do both. Why can't I do both? And if something doesn't work out, if something, God forbid, happens with my sport, I will have my academic background to fall back on. Mm. I think that's important for you for young people to, to hear that. Definitely. I think it was uh it would have helped me, but <laughs> <laughs> we all have our own paths, you know. Exactly. And also it doesn't matter when you start in life, right? Mm. Like as long as you start. So, you know, you've got your journey and you've got, you know, a purpose. And I feel like it also kind of worked out the way it should have in, you know, it's taking you overseas to places where you are now and mm. now you're changing lives, you know, from just being abroad and, you know, growing and doing Thank amazing you. things. I appreciate it. You know, like we'll just keep on going and I'll, I'll always go where the wind takes me, you know? Yes. And then hopefully also part of my nonprofit. You mean, hopefully I'm there. I told you yeah. it's done. <laughs> It's it it's over. Like I I I am there, hundred awesome. percent. And it, it's now they've got it on record as well. You can you can quote yes. me. Yes. So Good. motherfucker. I'll be the Rick. first person. I'll I'll then call you up and I'll be like, Alex, we're doing this. <laughs> Get your stuff ready. Yeah, pack a bag. We're leaving. Yeah. Where are we going? Mozambique. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. When? Right? Ten minutes. <laughs> There's a taxi outside. Don't ask questions. Just get in. Yeah. I'll be like, wait, this is some James Bond shit, Mona. I'm not yeah, sure exactly I'm ready for right. this. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Like, I, I'm going to expect it. I'm going to expect it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's the worst piece of life advice you've ever received? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is always a funny one. one. Um, okay. Again, I guess... <laughs> Seeing because like my my family had a lot of influence in my life as you know being an athlete and you know even the person I am today. Um, so I was preparing. I think it was for the World Championships for karate at the time, and I was I had a really really late training session that one night, and my I said to my dad, "I've got exams tomorrow," and he's like, "Listen." 
you should have studied for those exams prior to and, and I'm like but I thought training was just going to go until seven and he's like well you haven't done what you're supposed to do your training hasn't been looking good tonight we're going to just push and that's why I said my dad was very military like he's mm. changed over the years he's become mm. a lot softer um, but he was like you know grind until you do it right kind of person and <laughs> he said to me luckily I didn't do it though but he said to me oh if you go into the exams tomorrow just draw a rock and right on the rock, the answers is under the rock. <laughs> and so I was like, you've got to be joking, Dad. And he's like, well, you can either do that or you're going to be studying until early mornings of the day. So obviously I chose to study till early mornings of the day because I also knew that um, because actually my um, later on, I, I got a scholarship to study at the university from my weightlifting and karate achievements. So I also knew, and I think that was also the thing that motivated me because I knew if my marks dropped, I would lose my scholarship. So I had to keep it up there. But yeah, wow. that was the advice I got from my dad. I know he meant it as a joke. And he'll probably be really angry if he hears this. <laughs> but yeah, he told me, right, tell the teacher all the answers are under the rock. That's, that's genius. <laughs> you know, that's absolutely yeah. genius. Yeah. I think the... <laughs> the best way i think the best cheating ways i ever saw was you get like a like a bottle of lucasade or something right and then you take off the plastic and you write all the answers in the on the back of it and you stick the plastic back on so once you've yes. finished your drink you can like clearly see through oh, exactly man. oh my gosh is that your trick <laughs> well my my trick was kind of sit there and be like what do i do yeah <laughs> it's so funny though um yeah. yeah no that uh that was yeah quite funny and i don't think the teachers would have thought that was very funny if i did that neither did my mom because mm. obviously she was you know the academic one like i said so i think that kind of helped because she was like she came into the gym and she's like mona hasn't studied for exam yet and my dad's like you know if the exam training is more important that's what he used to say <laughs> So I'm very glad that I didn't just take that advice. Um, I followed a little bit of, you know, from both sides. And it mm. worked out well, I think. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you could have drawn, you know, worse things on your paper than a rock. So uh, I, I don't think they'd have been too pissed. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a better option not to draw the rock yeah. and write answers are underneath. That's, it's actually brilliant. No, I think that's comedically <laughs> genius. I do want to say on the podcast, though, if there's any students listening to this, please never do this. <laughs> it's like, don't do this. Don't do as I do. Like, you know. Yeah, do it and uh, and and blame you. Send everybody yeah. your way. It's not my way. It's, I didn't have anything to do with this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That was the worst advice I got. The worst <laughs> advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. What, what about, um, last question is, three words you would tell your younger self? Three words. Yeah. Oh, um, oh my gosh. I would probably say, um, so I can say a word and it can have a meaning behind the word, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I would say love. Mm. Um, do I need to explain it or not? Just no, you don't word. have to. Like... Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I'll just quickly explain. I will say just love, just because. When I was younger, I very much just saw myself as 
the work be mm. and I needed to achieve things and I didn't you know I was just working towards goals but I didn't really love myself and I didn't at the time love the process um, I knew what I wanted to achieve um, but yeah I, I very much I had a very bad outlook on myself if that makes sense and I think that came just with all the stigmas around you know being a female in sport mm. if I just had someone tell me like you know love yourself and you know kind of love the process so that would be the first word the second word mm, that's a good one. Oh my gosh I can't actually I do have I do have one but it's actually two words so I don't know if I can well, that would be your count. three words that would be my three words yeah. okay it would be talk less because <laughs> when I was younger I was the person who I I love talking and I love you know communicating with people and stuff and I was always the one in class or around the table whenever we would have like training camps that would talk so much and I would never want to eat my food. And my coach would always be like, you know, if you just talk less, you would be able to eat more food and we'll be able to be stronger. Mm. <laughs> and I would always be the last one at the table eating my food. Or maybe I should actually say eat. Eat should actually be one of my words, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, I think I've said too many words now, but um, yeah, I, honestly, the, the most important one, I would just be the love one is probably mm. the most important. That's super heartful, and I, uh, I feel that a lot. Mona, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for, for, for doing this, you know, having a conversation with, with a dude that sounds pretty weird on the other end of the screen, um, <laughs> who's actually in the same country, which is kind of cool. Well, I appreciate I know, it, right? Man. Yeah, thank you, Alice. I love the conversation. It was so, you know, awesome to talk to a like-minded person that understands, you know, things from not just the mental health side of things, but also from sport and mm. someone who's traveled and lived abroad. Mm. Um, you know, it, it kind of feels nice to be like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm in this country, but we're not, you know, from New Zealand. Um, but the the world has kind of taken us here for a reason. Yes, you're not the only crazy person here. Don't worry about it. There is at least with one a funny, more. With, with a, a funny, funny accent. accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's the, that's the key point, right? We both sound weird. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think it makes the podcast awesome, though, you know? It makes yeah. it unique. Yeah, for sure. You know, if everyone sounded the same, it'd be boring. Same with exactly. if everyone looked the same, it'd be boring. Exactly. But there is only one way to speak, and that's like me. I'm joking. Is that that? I'm fucking with <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, I think funny. accents and uh, a language and, and I think it's incredible. Like, I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with culture. I'm obsessed with, like, the little intricacies that people pick up and the nuances from different places that they, they've either visited or grown up with. And I just think it, it makes us who we are. And it's, it's so interesting um, to just kind of, be around and communicate and and learn from from other people so yeah no, I definitely I I agree with you and again you know just to end off like you know again this is what sport opened up doors for me to travel the world and see and experience all these different cultures and I, like you said now I think it's 
like the, the, the reason I am who I am today, because I've gotten to experience, you know, the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. And you see how people live in certain countries and you tend to also see like the mindset they have and you get inspired by that. So, you know, you, you can learn from each place that you go to and each culture. And at the end of the day, you know, it can just make you a stronger person at the end of the day, because now you know what other people are going through and you can also be blessed by, you know, how you were brought up or where you come from. You can relate to more people, you know, like you you have so much more empathy for the human being rather than just like always being around a certain amount of uh, a certain type of person, you know, like uh, you really do epitomize the idea of a growth mindset once you kind of embark on this journey and, and leave the place that you, you grew up in and, and kind of, you know, just keep walking through life. And I think it's, I think it's a really beautiful thing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, oh. it, it actually inspired me now to get back to the grind and, you know, do more good things out there. Hey, I mean, I'm going to wait for that taxi and that, that don't talk to me, get in the, get in the car phone call. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be scary, but I'll do it. <laughs> Just think of yourself. You're like, like I said, in a James Bond movie or something. Okay, cool. And you're going to do amazing things. <laughs> James Bond, James Bond, the new 007. Just saying, like, if they, they want me to play that role, I'll do it. You know, just saying. <laughs> you can play those, that role with the kids, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not cheap. You know, if they want me to put me on a big screen, you know, they can, they can pay me like uh, big bucks. Exactly, right? <laughs> Fuck, I don't think I could be an actor. Holy shit. No, no. <laughs> I'm too shy for that. I'm too introverted. I just want to do my thing. Oh, yeah, same. Same, really. Like, Don't put I'm the so camera awkward, on me. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, awkward, I could be yeah. myself like, like this, you know, this is who I am. But as soon as I even like sometimes when I have to make YouTube videos, I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm awkward around this. Yeah. Thing. I'm like, I don't yeah. know how people do this. Like, it's insane. Like, I have so much of like respect for them being able to do that. It's, yeah. yeah. You start blushing. You start stuttering. Right, you usually go like super strong with your accent, and you replay it. You're like, no one's gonna know what what the hell I just said. You know, yeah. where's the subtitle button? And then you put that on exactly. with the captions, <laughs> and they don't get the right ones, and they can't understand you. I'm like, if a fucking robot can't understand what I'm saying, everybody else is screwed. <laughs> That's so funny. But anyway, now nah, I appreciate your time, man, okay. and uh, we'll we'll grab a coffee and a lift in sometime whenever whenever I get up to Auckland. Definitely, and same thing. I'll come visit up that side like i said i need to travel a bit more so yeah you need to I'll, I'll come do that all right mate awesome, awesome. have a good day thanks alex Peace. you too bye, bye. everybody